for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're heading to a game downtown, make it a staycation. Call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group, 25 years of Applewood in our community. And each and every day, they do something to make it better. And right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, you can finance the Rogue, 23 Rogue from 3.99%. Lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99%. Then at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, you can lease a 23 QX50 from 3.49% or a 2023 QX60 from 2.99%. And... uh as you know, Blake, my parents have moved here and brought mm-hmm. all together way too much stuff. So yesterday I became aware that I have boxes in their condo that belong to me, opened one up, and it was like old high school yearbooks oh, and fun. things of that order. Yeah. So I just continue to accumulate my stuff in the back of the QX60. We'll get it to storage eventually. I have been a We're thinning out. Facebook marketplace merchant like nobody's business in the last two weeks. Have you? Free. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing. I'm going to have to crowdsource this a little bit. We have come across old vintage sports clothing. Shirts, jerseys, sweatshirts, pennants. Like I came across a Tony Dorsett Cowboys jersey. It's not the real thing, but yeah. it's 40 years old right. plus. Yeah. And not to mention memorabilia and cards. Now, I know where I can bring the cards, but I see so many young people wearing like 30-year-old Kansas University yeah, yeah, yeah. t-shirts and things like that. There's got to be some value to this clothing. We're wondering well, where we can go to sell it. Two things. Um, you're not going to get rich off it. No. but no. Uh, And you just have to be patient. Like it will sell for sure. Right. It's just like if you want it I out just, of your house, it's not going to be quick. I don't necessarily want to piecemeal it out though. No. Like I'd like to be able to just sell it in one board lot and and. Take it to a uh, take it to a consignment place then maybe yeah but does every consignment place you know like are they on trend here with all the old sports clothes yeah I think so I think I think a lot of them are three or four years ago I went to London for Christmas and my brother and I were exploring the city riding the tube and the trains and like virtually every trip we would elbow each other and be like look at this young hipster Brit wearing like a University of North Carolina hat. Or like a Tulane University sweatshirt, or like a old school White Sox jersey. We've been geeking out on this on this Beckham documentary, the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't it Victoria, or was it one of the other Spice Girls that uh, wore a vintage ru- uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders t shirt, yeah. and things exploded. Like they, they were getting calls left, right, and center from mm-hmm. from everywhere because one of the Spice Girls was wearing a Riders shirt. Right. So this stuff happens. Anyways, if you know where I can sell all this stuff in one shot and get a fair price, hopefully, <laughs> text us, 778-402-9680. Bodog poll question today. Was a 2-0 start fool's gold? Yes or no? Vote at Secure Some Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Jacksonville, New Orleans in the Thursday night or tomorrow. 
I know the Saints have a good defense. Trevor Lawrence banged up. More on that in a second. Nathan Rourke elevated. But it's a very low total here. 39 points. I'm going to go over. Maybe some defensive scores on your Bodog line of the day. Canucks lose 2-0 in Philly. They get outshot 42-25. to And Rick Tockett is spitting mad after the game. And look, I think there will be times this year where Tockett just can't help himself after a loss. Go back to the story of assistant coaches having to talk him off the ledge after that loss in Seattle a couple of games into his Canucks career last year. 2 a.m. on a street corner, he's still angry. I think there will also be times where when the team is down, Tockett is going to build them up. Mm-hmm. As we saw after the 8-1 win on opening night, when they're that high, Tockett's going to be like, hey, level yourself. But I don't necessarily sure we're going to get the build him up coach until he feels like the structure and the habits and the standards and the details are there across a broad enough spectrum of the player base. And I don't think he's there because listen to this yesterday with regards to who the players think they are. You know, times when we should shoot the puck I got in front, we'd pass it. When it was time to pass it to the flanker, we shot it, it got blocked. It would just, you know, it's, it's a good lesson for us. You know, it's a good lesson. You know, who are we to think we're anybody? I love it when coaches speak plainly like this because, mm-hmm. you know, so often we in the media give you, oh, you're so alarmist after three. It's been three games. Listen to the coach. The coach saw it happening in the Edmonton game. In the preseason, he saw it. And the coach saw it happening at practice on Tuesday. Yeah. Like, we're sitting there wondering, why is Tockett screaming at them with F-bombs talking about you got to earn your ice time on a Tuesday practice in Philadelphia, or a Monday practice in Philadelphia? He saw what was happening. And I love the line there, who are we to think we're anybody? Because, Blake, you and I have both heard this independently for several years now, through a few coaches. Mm -hmm. There are some players in that room who just think they have arrived. Yep. Who just think they're God's gift, that their shit don't stink, and that the only reason the team isn't winning is because of others couldn't possibly be them. There's some guys in that room that have treated the NHL like a finish line. Huh, I'm here. I'm making millions. And on some nights, I'm productive. The The truth of the matter is, is that coaching is only going to be a small sliver of the equation, folks. Um, you know, it's yeah, the players play. It's, it's the easiest. It's the easiest change to make. That's why coaches get fired like they do because mm-hmm. it's the easiest change to make. And in short spurts, yes, it can make a difference. And over a large sample size, you can see the trend and the impact a coach has had. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the largest determining factor of wins and losses is the player. Oh, of course. And what we are seeing is still. These this group of players, this core group, mm-hmm. is still doing those things. And Tockett was right to be concerned about his team's intensity going into last night's game. I mean, there are two scrambles in front of Thatcher Demko in like the opening minute. You are not ready to play this hockey game. And I think, well, I think he started his fourth line for two reasons. Number one, because I do think he wanted to set a little bit of a tone and have a tougher group out there and hope for some energy and intensity, particularly against a John Tortorella club. And also because he's a former flyer. And I think he knows that, you know, you yeah. go into Philly, it's fourth line better be ready to go now. So hard crash back down to earth. 
Coach was right, and these guys got too big for their britches. Two wins in. But I also thought the officiating was terrible last night. I don't think it. it's like to the point where it cost them. No, no, no. Again, Wally Bono yeah. rule. Yeah. you got to be able to overcome. There will be some nights officiating goes against you. thought the penalties. I, I came around on goaltender interference, but, I mean, the first three or four times I saw it, I thought it was a goal. They're cracking down on pushing goaltenders and their equipment into the net, so it comes off the board. And, frankly, if that goal counts, like, who knows, maybe the Canucks steal a point here. It's such a coin flip, though, these days because nobody really seems uh, to know. It's a terrible what it standard is. in a terribly officiated and administrated league. That much we know. The NHL has an officiating problem. And more, more beyond that, they have a transparency problem with their officiating in an era of legalized sports gambling. That reckoning is coming. Probably won't be until there's a new commissioner because the current one is set in his ways. But I thought the penalty shot was very generous to Philadelphia. Couturier has a, I mean, it doesn't mess with his ability to get a great chance on goal. I thought that was two minutes, not a penalty shot. They seem to ignore that part now. And uh, incidentally, quite a stylish penalty shot at that for Sean Couturier. As he joked, I've had two years away, plenty of time to work on my shootout move. Who stood out to head coach Rick Tockett? One guy and one guy only. I, I can't even pick one guy who played well other than Demko was unreal. He was the he was uh, he was great tonight, and the rest of the guys weren't. Pretty simple. He would later go on to praise the penalty kill, and quite frankly, and and the penalty kill was perfect last night. Four opportunities for Philadelphia, no goals. I thought Carson Susie made a difference on the penalty kill last night. That's why they got him. I thought he was pretty good there. 40 saves for Demko, a 9.52 save percentage in the game, faced 15 high-danger chances, saved them all. But needless to say, a work in progress, and Rick Tockett spoke to that as well. We just got some guys, they, you know, whew, they, gotta, they, gotta, they better pick it up. I mean, I, mean, I saw a lot of, you know, I don't like to use the word soft, but I, I didn't see you guys competing at all, um, and that's alarming. But saying that, you know, you win two games. We, you know, we said we didn't. Let's not get too high. It's the same thing. You know, obviously it's a bad effort. Let's not get too low. But we got to obviously, we got to go to the drawing board with some guys here. They got to pick it up, boy. Like, uh, can't throw goose eggs again. And again, listen to the coach, folks. It's alarming. Mm-hmm. This is he not actually a, used the word. Like this isn't a throwaway. Like we need to get better here. Mm-hmm. It's alarming. Yeah. Well, because they stole one in Edmonton on Saturday. Yeah. Like those two were a better team. And well, they scored four goals on sixteen shots. No, these two performances are now attached. Yeah. And we said this after the game on Saturday. Fine and well that you won the game. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. You're two and zero. Oh. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. But this game can't be the template for victory. Yeah. And I voted yes on the poll question. I do believe 2-0 was fool's gold. You take a look at how they played that Edmonton game. Jeff had a great stat. Take the two, take the second and third period Saturday in Edmonton, the first two periods last night. Canucks have shot 64-21. They got tripled. Yeah. And yeah. unlike Saturday, it's not a very good team you played yesterday. No, nope. that's not a team with a true number one centerman. That's not a team with a true number one defenseman. 
No. How, generally, you mm-hmm. should be able to figure out the tort system. Right. It, it's a pretty simple system. Tyler Myers was terrible last night. And the Canucks have made some roster moves here. Akito Hirose is down. Mark Friedman just acquired is up. More on him in a moment. And, of course, yesterday they had to make a roster move to account for Carson Soucy because, as you'll recall, um, Jack Stanika was up on an emergency basis because they played a player short. Yes. They wanted to keep Stanika, so that meant putting Guillaume Brisebois on IR. There is word today from David Pignota of the fourth period that the Connor Garland trade talks are heating up. Pignota reports he's hearing a third team could be in play, and there is some there are some cap and cash considerations here. Number one, the Canucks, Canucks are looking to gain some cap space in this trade. And then number two, as we have talked about, with Garland having the three years remaining term, he's actually got owed more cash in hand than what his cap it is over these three these three remaining years. So Pinota reports talks with teams like Nashville, Washington, Columbus, and at least one more Eastern team are ongoing. The Canucks want this done sooner than later. Money is a big factor. Can they get creative? Uh, a little more on this in Welcome Matt on Connor Garland. The question really is, and I, I've flip-flopped a thousand times on what I think they should do, what I think they will do, all that sort of thing. Matt, how good do they need to be this season in their own minds? Well, they have to make the playoffs. That's the mission each and every year. Can they flirt with the playoffs in their current incarnation and then reap the benefits of $6 million of Tyler Myers' yeah. cap space coming off the books? Um, yes, you're having to take on OEL money, but there's still a, a surplus there. Yes, you're going to have to pay PD a raise. Mm-hmm. But... Do you just do you just grind out what you've got well, now? But, hope to get to ninety three points and see what happens. But Blake, I think you also got to convince Pedersen that he wants to be a part of this going forward. Yeah, so that might so that, that might force your hand to I think that to your expedite. Hand. Like Tyler Myers was supposed to be an asset at the trade deadline that you trade away to to get stuff. Now ultimately, mm-hmm. you might have to use him as part of a trade and then pay somebody to take him. Like, are we at that point? I mean, it was a dreadful game last night for Myers, but you know we'll, we'll see. I'm not necessarily there yet. He's got a ten team no trade as well, so yeah. it's not it's not easy and, to and, do. And we haven't really seen a ton of either Susie or Cole on the right side. And I know Tockett doesn't want to do that, but if one of those guys can play the right side, then Myers is appropriate appropriately slotted on the third pair, and then maybe you're feeling a lot better about the group collectively. So Friedman joined them in place of Noah Juleson as the right shot defenseman on that third pair today. Practiced, yep. At practice. It's funny because, um, <laughs> and you'll listen to Frank Corrado later in the program, we instantly got some messages yesterday that, you know, Friedman's a pretty nasty bit of business. He's a pretty vocal guy on the ice Not a lot of well. manners. Not a lot of manners. No, exactly. Yeah. But you know what? Frankly, the Canucks could use a guy like that to some degree. And on this Rathbone trade, what I like about it is, first of all, you know, things had gotten the relationship between Rathbone, his 
agent and the Canucks have yeah. broken down. The on ship this. had sailed. So yeah. it mends the relationship there. It shows to other players and and to agents that you know, look, when things break down and our coaches don't want to give one of your guys opportunity, we'll do them a solid. Let's not forget Rathbone was on a one way deal, so you're saving a little bit of money here, right? Friedman comes in. Um, and is at the salary where he could be that emergency recall if you play a player short, and that is something to monitor with the Canucks and a lot of other teams this year. But they've got a lot of guys in that category. Yeah, well, they do, but again, it's got to be less than eight hundred and fifty thousand. Irwin, so Willan, some of these other guys, you know, are making more than that. Oh, indeed, though, or four, they have now four defensive options to call up that fit this yeah, category. Yeah. How many right side? Well, Ir- uh, Irwin does play right. Okay. Um, and it'd be free. Friedman is more NHL ready than Rathbone, if you will. He's played more NHL games. Alvin talking about how he fits as the seventh defenseman with Thomas Drance. He's better than Noah Juleson. And look, you're giving up some upside on Jack Rathbone, but you knew the upside wasn't going to be realized here because you've now had three coaches who don't really want to play him. Jay Fresh Hockey, Mark Friedman, acquired by Vancouver, a physical defenseman. His numbers generally look like the usual good results in a small depth role, except for the fact that he's drawn minor penalties at nearly double the rate of any other defenseman in the past three seasons. It is a small sample size, but you do wonder if he gets under the skin of the opposition and gets them taking penalties and retaliating, that could be an asset for the Canucks. Except that. You know, again, it's be- probably because it's probably been as successful as it has been because he's not been a full time player in the NHL. The more you play him, the more the refs are right. like, "Oh, it's that oh, I'm guy sure. again." I'm sure. Regression to the mean. Is our buddy Frank Saravelli notes, and Frank will be with us Friday. Bluger, Lafferty, Cole, Friedman, DeSmith, all ex Penguins now under the Canucks umbrella from a couple of Penguins ex Penguin executives. It was very clear early, mm-hmm. and you know, I had a, I had someone whisper in my ear as soon as they were quiet. Get ready for a flood of ex penguins to come to the yeah. Vancouver oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Here it is. Yeah, familiarity is one of the canons of managing in the NHL. That's Rob Williams, and we'll have Rob on the show tomorrow. Notes: You've now got Elias Pettersson to show for your 2017 draft, where you had five picks in the top 100. You got Friedman as well. You remember the five picks in the top 100 that year beyond Elias Pettersson? There was uh, Cole Lind, lost in the expansion draft now to Seattle. Jonah Gadjevich, lost on waivers to San Jose a couple of years back. Mikey DiPietro, traded off to Boston. Mm-hmm. And Rathbone, you know, traded off to Pittsburgh. We were really stoked about that draft class. It's actually, I mean, and look, you hit an absolute home run at fifth overall with a guy who should have been first overall, or at least is a first overall equivalent. Yeah. But I would have liked another player. Huh? Four more picks in the top 100. And, and to be fair, you know, Lind hasn't really established himself as a regular NHLer, nor has Gadjevich. I'm not sure Mikey DiPietro will ever get there. I see a lot of. I saw this discussion online, and a lot of guys like JD Burke are can, still convinced that Cole Lind is is a National Hockey League oh, really? player, and that there was a a failure in development at the very least for Cole. Lind. Well, Canucks development has not exactly been a uh, shining part of the organization. Cole Lind didn't get a single game with the Kraken last year. Huh? <laughs> it was two years ago that he got that 
extended look. Mm-hmm. Now, he, deve- he had a great year. Developments at oh, and incidentally, they're not saying it's a concussion with Guillaume Brisebois, but based on the line of questioning yesterday from Thomas Drance of the Athletic. And I saw our, our friend Patrick Johnson weighed in. Absolutely no idea why the Canucks won't ever say concussion, but it's pretty clearly that. Talk had said Breeze Ball is working on feeling good. So maybe there you go. That's your new code for yeah. concussion in the NHL. Practice today. Elias Pettersson is missing. And we're told it's one part maintenance, one part. Well, he took a Tyler Meyer shot yesterday. And he didn't look very pleased about taking a Tyler Meyer shot yesterday. Looked a little frustrated, headed on over the bench. Yeah, it looked like more than, oh, shoot, that hurts. Yeah. It that lo- looked it like looked, anger. Yeah, it looked like a little, you got to be kidding me, friendly fire. Well, I, I think it was, we're playing like shit. I can't get anything going here. And now I get yep. hit? Mm-hmm. So, minus Pedersen, Sam Lafferty in the cameo on the top line between Kuzmenko and Garland. Mikheyev has slid into the fourth wing, uh, fourth line at left wing with Stanika moving over to the middle. We do anticipate that Mikheyev is going to play on this trip and even practice power play today, but of course, Elias isn't there. So, it may even well be tomorrow in Tampa, but I would suspect Saturday in Florida if it's not tomorrow in Tampa with Mikheyev. Earlier in the week, Talk had said he's getting closer. And other than that, really no changes. Uh, rest of the forward line staying intact, as well as the defense pairs. Talk had went to some different combinations last night, but as he explained, look, he was just looking for anything. Yes. He was looking for a pulse Yeah, exactly. last night. Cole got a shift or two on the right side with Hughes, but again, uh, he's coming back at practice with the same lineup, and you wonder if that's going to hold for tomorrow. The indication probably... We'll see about Patterson. We'll see about Mikheyev. Would, and I suspect it would be Stadnika who draws out if Mikheyev is ready to go. Yeah. I think you're going to see Friedman for Jolson tomorrow. Yeah, I would guess all those. And, and uh, you know, I hope just they make the right decisions on Mikheyev. You know, like... Well, they've already made one big wrong one. Right. So let's not compound it by rushing him back. I, no, you know, exactly. There seems to be have been some patience because he's been around the team for right. a while. So there's been a modicum of patience for mm-hmm. sure. The cardinal sin would have been putting him in early because you're like, oh, we got to make sure he's healthy for opening night. Otherwise, people are going to say we screwed up yeah. last year. Yeah, and he did screw up last year. But I, I hope that, and, and he seems to he seems to be taking part in more and more regular stuff. And yeah, power play work today was an example of that. So I, I, I hope he's himself because that was the whole point, right? Like he again, his he was still a half point per game with the Canucks last yeah. year when he did play. The whole point of doing all this surgery is. Get back to real Ilya Mikheyev. So let's hope they don't insert him into the lineup unless they start to see signs of the real. Well, Ilya and Mikheyev. particularly since he's he's got to be an all situations player, yeah. right? Like he's probably going to be on power play too. He's absolutely one of your primary penalty killers, and he will be defending leads late and, in the game. And the reason if why not he, playing when you need a goal. So the reason why he's such a good uh, penalty killer too is, of course. He's a threat to go the other way, right. and and the and the power plays know that, so they mm-hmm. operate differently when they see the Mikheyevs out there. Yeah. Was one good turn for the Vancouver Canucks last night? The Colorado Avalanche came back to beat Seattle. Like they've won an NHL record. It's tied fourteen straight on the road going back to last week. That's crazy. Seattle zero 
three and one to begin the season with three goals scored. You remember they were the number two shooting percentage team last year. Mm-hmm. People are going, can this keep up? Can this keep up? Well, it kept up all the way to game seven of the second round, Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, regression to the mean yet again. And of course, Seattle, one of those teams, Vancouver has to leapfrog in the playoff chase this year. BC Lions, home Friday against Calgary. We'll be picking a winner of our ticket giveaway tomorrow. So final 24 hours or so, depending on when you're listening to this, to get in. Text hashtag Lions to 778-402-9680. Pair of tickets, food and bev voucher, team store gift card. Final regular season home game of the year. Of course, penultimate home game because we know they're hosting a playoff game, whether it's November 4th, the West Semi, or November 11th, the West Final, to be determined. I was thinking about this. Vernon Adams' MOP candidacy, he needs a monster game Friday, Blake, for a couple of reasons. To be Claros? And Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Number one, he comes out of that Hamilton game late. Evans leads the game-winning drive, so I think that hurts him a little bit. But also, as we've talked about, this is the Lions' final home game of the regular season, or final game of the regular season, and then Winnipeg plays twice. They play Saturday, and then they play next week when the Lions have a bye. So Caleros and Oliveira are going to get a chance to put a punctuation mark on this with voters across the league in two different games after the Lions have last played. They're going to get, I think, a final opportunity to make their case with voters more so than Vernon is on a 10 p.m. start in the, in the Eastern time zone on Friday night against Calgary. Think about how close we are to a different universe where he's got a much stronger case. Think about it if he le- if he does the comeback, not Evans one, yep. but more importantly, what if that pass to Dominic Rhymes right. over the Bombers, right. last play of the game, gets them that win? Then you have your signature play and against the the very MVPs, two, yeah. Heisman Trophy winners. They tend to have signature plays, right? Yeah, plays that voters want to cling on to and go. That's a signature play from this year. That's why I'm voting for him for MOP or MVP, whatever the case is. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not that far away from that no. universe, but alas, it didn't happen. And we should mention, we haven't mentioned this this week, Calgary is playing for something here. Yes. They beat Saskatchewan last week, who are in utter free fall. What, six in a row for the Rangers? Yeah. They've lost. Calgary can still be the opponent here in the West Semi. They're, they're trailing Saskatchewan, and of course, they play Winnipeg in the final week, but... As we know, the Bombers' magic number is one. So if they take care of Edmonton this week, they don't care about that Calgary game next week. It's not going to be meaningful to them. They'll have first place locked up. Calgary 5-11, and 11, Saskatchewan 6-11. and 11. How many years in a row? Playoffs for the Stamps? It's something I've seen. 17 or something yeah. like that? Yeah. I think the last time they missed is when Kevin Federick bought the team, forced Wally out because he wanted to play his kid at quarterback. Remember that. Yeah, quite a look. Yeah, the uh, boy, the CFL back then was <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, Calgary has something to play for, and um, Saturday we'll find out what uh, what uh, what happens with Saskatchewan, who hosts fourteen and two Toronto. They have nothing to play for, but still a damn good team. Here is the other thing about the Leos and. and just something to consider going into the playoffs, particularly if you're going to have to go play a game in Winnipeg or have to play a great cup game in Hamilton. 
you're last in the league in rushing, and actually by quite a margin now. You're averaging 78.4 yards on the ground. That is nearly nine yards worse than the next worst rushing team. You know, the running game doesn't matter as much in the CFL during the regular season when you're playing a lot of good weather games and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. It does tend to mean more in November. Now, they're first in the league in passing yards per game, 319.5. That's 23.5 yards better than second place. But Smoke Mizell has been nicked. You, you tried the kid Hardy on Friday night. You, you and, and look, I think Rick Talkin and Jordan McSimmick would tell you that you know the short passing game effectively works as her running game. Fair enough. Why would Rick Talkin tell you that? Or Rick Campbell, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although Talk might, be, might agree. Okay, we got two Ricks here. <laughs> So we'll see if the Lions can, can get some semblance of a running game going here. Would be nice heading into the heading into the playoffs. Football south of the border where our buddy Nathan Rourke may well be getting an opportunity here. The Jacksonville Jaguars have signed him to the 53-man roster. It's basically insurance because Trevor Lawrence is dealing with a knee injury. Now, there are new rules in the NFL this year where you're allowed to dress a third quarterback independent of your roster limit. So long as the guy is on the active roster and isn't a practice squatter. So Rourke has been promoted from practice squad to active roster. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to play. And, of course, he's still the number three quarterback. And you're telling me he's got to stay there now for three weeks? Is that no, no? It's just it's just there's a sense that when you do this, um, it makes more sense for the team to keep you up for three weeks. Rarely would you go through these uh, through these particular hoops Mm -hmm. to just send the guy right back down the practice. And it's a good rule because it's a good rule for two reasons. Number one, I think the NFL is sort of safeguarding quarterback play here a little bit for the audience. Yes. Because a lot of teams have just been rolling the dice, dressing the two quarterbacks, figuring if we're onto our third quarterback, we probably lose the game anyway. So let's dress an extra DB or receiver or, you know, at a position where we may actually be run out of guys as the game goes along. And as a Bears fan, I can tell you defensive back, offensive line, running back, I've been worried about three position groups. The last couple of weeks, just running out of guys with these in-game injuries. I'm, I'm not a fan of Thursday Night Football, Blake, and what it's doing, and especially in a 17-game schedule. It's, just, it's just, that's one of the things we've talked about the NFL and how this year I'm just not quite as engaged as I have been in other years. You look at the injury list after a given weekend and who's missing from the next week and whatnot, and, and you just say to yourself, "Like we're five games in." Who are you going to be playing in 12 weeks? Yeah, it's it, it, the punishment is so severe in it the National Football. It is so physical now. Yeah. Everybody on defense can run. Well, they're all specimens now. Everybody. Yeah. Like, you don't get on an NFL field now unless, unless you're running like a 4-6. And so now it's this, it's it's... I mean, I don't know that weights have necessarily changed. It's but now those weights are traveling at higher velocity when they collide with you. Well, and also defenses are better, so you've got people in close in closer quarters than before. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm, I'm I really find myself bemoaning with the NFL, and it's kind of the same argument that we have with starting pitchers in the baseball playoffs, where if they're only going four or five innings, then really are they your lead actor? Are they your protagonist? Are they your star? You know, running back is such a devalued position now. Like growing up, the running back was as much the story as the quarterback. 
you know, you invested in the careers of these running backs. They were the huge stars in the league. Guys like Franco Harris and Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson and Dorsett and Sanders and Uncle Smith and on and on it goes. You know, now I just I there's not a ton of running backs that I sit there and go, God, I want to watch him play. Whereas like in the eighties and nineties, there were a dozen running backs at any given time that I was like, I want to watch that guy play. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So We'll see. Uh, we'll see if Nathan Rourke gets an opportunity. Would would sure like that to be the case. And whether it's Thursday night football, if you can't make it to the football game Friday at BC Place or the soccer match Saturday at BC Place, why don't you hit up Greta Bar? We were there Saturday for the Canucks Army watch party. Grady and I, fantastic space. All the arcade games, pop a shot. So check it out. Games throughout the season, the playoffs, place to chill in the off season. Menu brought to you by AG1. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash and Price and boom, your personal health will be changed and find out what it can do for you. The most quality ingredients, a great foundational nutritional supplement to make sure that you're taking care of you. Again, drinkag1.com slash and Price. We'll talk with Frank Corrado, TSN hockey analyst and former Vancouver Canuck. Frankie will tell us about the Mark Friedman that he knows, uh, as well as what faces Connor Garland here as he seeks a trade. Talk to us about Rick Tockett's comments, Thatcher Demko, and he gives us a good uh, John Tortorella film room study, Frankie does. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Chris Faber joins with his prospect of the week as well on Garland, on the effort last night, on what needs to be cleaned up as they head the Florida stretch of the season. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. The trouble with the player who doesn't want to be here is you're left to wonder whether he'll bleed for the club. And with Rick Talk at hockey, everyone has to bleed. That brings us to Connor Garland and his effort on the Flyers' opening goal last night. Garland has a chance to block Igor Zamula's shot from distance or, quote, eat a puck, as the head coach would say. Instead, Garland turns and breezes by giving Zamula a shooting lane, and sure enough, the puck winds up behind Demko. Garland is typically a scrappy player, plays bigger than his diminutive size. But given that his agent is seeking a trade and trying to find his client a a new home, one has to wonder if he's going to sell out and play Rick Talk at hockey. Like his disallowed goal last night. Commendable. Goes hard to the net, joins the traffic, pushes Carter Hart, and the puck into the net. Now, the goal is disallowed upon review, meaning he doesn't get to make that amend for his error on the Flyers' first tally. But it's one thing to sell out pursuing a goal. It's another to sell out trying to prevent a goal. Now, there are no easy fixes with a Garland trade request. He makes nearly $5 million. He has three years of term left. There aren't a lot of these upper-middle-class salaries in the NHL. 
and his play in Vancouver over two years hasn't is hasn't exactly made him a desirable asset. But if he continues to play in a way that gets on the wrong side of the coach, then the Canucks may have to expedite his exit sooner than later. There's word today from David Pignotta of the fourth period that the Canucks want this done sooner and have engaged Nashville, Washington, Columbus, and another Eastern Conference team. Chicago now apparently in the mix too. Wow. And that's good news. The sooner these sides divorce, the better for all parties. That's welcome out for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email, live at scarcenprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 on Twitter, at Matt Sikaris, at Sikaris and Price. Welcome out presentation of great clips, the official hair salon of the NHL and the world's largest hair salon brand. Do you think if he is a happy camper here, not seeking a trade request, whether he gets down in front of that shot? I don't know if it's... I mean, certainly not conscious. Um, I've never really thought of him as a shop-locking kind of guy, per no. se. Um, and talk is trying to inculture this. And Octobers aren't usually the shop-locking kind of months. Usually that's when desperation in February mm-hmm. and March starts to to seep in. So, But if you want to trade, if you want out of there, you need to be showing other clubs what you're willing to do. Yeah, you also need to be healthy. No half-ass in that blocks there. What's that? No half-ass in the blocks. You either get down and block it, right. or you get out of the way so the goalie can right. see it. And, and Blake just hit it because the only thing worse than GMs, AGMs, pro scouts being able to pick apart your game like that is you not being out there for them to have a game to pick apart. Right. And that's that's... And so all this smoke you hear about the Canucks and how they're trying to make this happen sooner rather than later, I think they realize they got a guy here who's not entirely going to sell out for them that he'd prefer to be elsewhere. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits and the Penticton V season well underway. Means it's time to visit the Neighborhood Watch. It's a vendor experience at the South Okanagan Event Center. Enjoy your favorite neighborhood beers while attending any event or a Penticton V's game. And Blake and I have been there several times. Fantastic vantage point. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Is that a piccolo I hear? Everybody's got a piccolo now. You know, you can get a scholarship in the NC2As. You play piccolo. Part of the band, I was uh, working the sidelines for that University of Washington, right? Marching um, band. You know what's scary? So, like the conductors go up on those ladders. On the ladder, yeah. Like the, the conductors are not like nimble thirty-year-olds. You know, like they're in their sixties and seventies, 
they're at the top of these rickety mm-hmm. step ladders that are placed not on a hard surface but mm-hmm. on a soft turf. Mm. I was a little worried for the old guys yeah. up there, but they were they were good. Mm-hmm. Oh. If you were looking for the biggest cultural difference between Canadians and Americans, it was right there. Marching bands. Marching bands. (laughs) They love them a marching band. Yeah, it's true. And this is even the university level. This goes down to the high school level. You have a marching band. We do pipers, but we don't do marching bands. Do we really do pipers, though? Well, we do as in we, Canada, but yeah, there's no high school piper band. No. No. Shout out the Argyle Pipers, Blake. Why Hands would we shout them up? No, no. Shout out Mr. McClatchy in Alberta. Ian's Pops. He's a piper. Oh, is he? Oh, bagpiper. Yeah. Bodog poll question today. Oh, sorry. Sikaris Price from Wall Center. Let's Presentation Applewood Auto Group. Right. Yes. Applewood Auto Group is proud to give you the best service you could possibly find, but they're also proud of what they do in the community. So if you want to give your business to... Uh, a business that actually works for you in the community. Look mm-hmm. no further than the Applewood Auto Group. Go visit them at the Richmond Auto Mall, mm-hmm. Applewood Nissan, Applewood Mitsubishi. It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question was a 2-0 and start. Fool's gold, yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog is your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Keegan Bradley won the Zozo Championship last year. Ricky Fowler finished second. You can get them both, either to win at plus 850 on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now by former Vancouver Canucks TSN hockey analyst, Mr. Frank Corrado. And Frank, there will be a lot of hits this year because you played for Talkit where we're going to ask you to interpret Talkit for us. Last night, I'm not sure we don't need any no. interpretation. No, it wasn't What did you make of the game? What did, yeah, what did you make of the game? What did you make of the effort? What did you make of the coach's comments thereafter? I listen, I, I appreciate that upfront honesty. And you know, it's quite fitting that it happens in Philadelphia where Torts is on the other side of the bench. And every time they pan the camera over to Torts, he just looked so calm. Like, it looked like Torts was just, you know, out for, like, a walk in the park with his dogs. Meanwhile, there's a hockey game going on. And I guess his team made him feel that way because, let's be honest, Philly had a very good game. They're not a very good team. But they controlled the whole game. They peppered Demko. They were the ones getting to the middle of the ice. They were the ones causing Vancouver to turn the puck over. Um, and for the Canucks side of thing, it was just like, it was a very different vibe from the first two games playing that game against Philly. And I thought Tockett summed it up pretty well. When And you know what? The compete thing is one thing. Like, you can say that for a lot of games. You know, it's not just – and a lot of different teams. Anytime a team loses, you're losing a lot of the battles. Let's be honest, okay? So he points that out. And I don't think the team is soft. Like, you know, and I know he says he, says he doesn't want to call them soft. And I don't think they're soft. But I thought he summed it up well when he said, you know, when we should have passed the puck, we shot the puck. When we should have shot the puck, it was just like one of those things where everything that could have gone wrong as far as the play on the ice, it seemed like it did. You know, I'm, I'm watching, for me, when Tockett says, I don't think any of our guys had a good game other than Demko. Okay, Demko had a really good game. I still watch Quinn Hughes and some of the stuff he's doing on the blue line, and I'm still blown away. 
even even in a game like that, even in a poor performance. You know, the way he, you know, there was one sequence. It was in the, the, the first period or the third period. I think it was the third. He kind of spins off a guy at the blue line, you know, uh, stops, gets a little opportunity. And then there's another one where him and Heronic are kind of crisscrossing. And I'm like, Quinn Hughes did so much work here with his feet to open up a lane, but he felt like he had to get the puck back to Quinn Hughes. Puck gets turned over. They go down the ice. I felt like that was a little microcosm of what was the Canucks game last night, whether it was trying to do too much or not trying to do enough. It was just a night where things weren't working. And um, I don't know. I, I like the honesty from Rick Dockett. What did you make of the penalty shot call? What did you make of the goaltender interference disallowed goal? The goalie interference one, I do agree with that one. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Garland pushes the goaltender's uh, pad into the net. I don't have an issue with that. I saw, I think it was Grady. I think it was Grady who pulled up an old video of Bufflin. Was was it Grady that did that? He pulled up a video of was, Bufflin this, pushing the Longo's yeah, pad was, into the it net. It was Wyatt Arndt. Yeah, it was Wyatt Arndt from... Oh, okay, but it was Wyatt. Okay, has was- the rule changed since then? That was my first question when I watched it. Like, or, or have they now said you're not allowed to push the goalie? I think, I think that's proper? a thing now. Like, I think if you if you start pushing the pad into the net, like it's a no no. The things have definitely changed since then. The penalty shot one, I disagree with a hundred percent. I think there's no way that should be a penalty shot. Like for because he wasn't clearly no, away because he, he wasn't alone. A clear chance, yeah, even after the slash. Exactly, yeah. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. You still have an opportunity at the net. Listen, I'm all for penalty shots and making the game exciting, and people love the the theater of it. But let's warrant a penalty shot. But like Pedersen, I believe it was Pedersen. His stick breaks. Couturier still gets the opportunity at the net, and we're awarding a penalty shot. If anything, it's a two minute slash, and away you go. So I right. didn't agree with that. And, you know, I guess if there's one positive you want to take away from that entire game, Demko plays well. But the whole night, you know, you take away the penalty shot, they're still one shot away from really being in that game. As You know, despite, you know, as, as not unflattering of a game it was for the Canucks, they're still hanging around and they're still relevant in that game. So um, I, I think, you know, through three games so far for this team, it would, I would say it's a, a positive step in the right direction compared to the stuff we were seeing or talking about last year. Well, goaltending keeps you in almost every game, right? If you get that sort of goaltending, you're always going to be within an arm's reach of, of the lead. And and guys, they've uh, they've had this trend for years now of getting the shot away and still giving you the uh, the penalty shot. That has been a trending yeah, you're right. uh, a thing for a long time. I just thought they were, he, you know, he wasn't like meters ahead of everybody either. So, um Talk about Tyler Myers. Um, we yeah. gave him the benefit of the doubt to start this year that, hey, he's overpaid for sure. But, you know, if he was a $3 million player, you'd happily have him on your, th- on your third pair. Yeah. Boy, not not last night's Tyler Myers. I, I don't know that that's a National Hockey League defenseman last night. that was It was tough to differentiate between some of the guys on the blue line last night with with the way they were handling the puck and some of the big mistakes that we saw. Like the first one that comes to mind for me is Myers somehow gets twisted up. He's on the ice with Susie. So they get twisted up and Myers is now on his backhand. And admittedly, like maybe if you want, Noodles always calls himself a goalie hugger. I'll be a little bit of a defenseman hugger here. He doesn't have a ton of help here as far as like outlet options. But that's one of those ones where you just live to fight another day. And it's that mentality 
not knowing when to do that and not knowing when, when not to do that. Like that's the thing that kind of separates the guys who at the end of the night, you talk about a defenseman and you say, I didn't notice him tonight. I think it was pretty good. I think he was steady. But when you notice someone because he throws a backhand pizza up the middle for an opportunity, you're like, man, that was ugly. And there was another one where he goes back for a puck and keep in mind, he's a massive human. Like he's huge and he's doing something that I would try and do as a six foot one guy. It's where I'm like, I'm trying to like protect the puck from the four checker who's come in and brace for the impact. And I'm watching him do this and I'm like, does he not know he's, he's, he's like six foot seven. He should be going in there gobbling that thing up. You know, instead it kind of gets along the wall and, you know, it was just, it was a little bit of a mess that way. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things you're right with the contract, maybe if he's a $3 million guy, you don't have him under such of a ma- um, um, magnifying glass, but the mistakes are still glaring at $6 million or $3 million. You're still going to see the, the backhand pass up the middle of the ice. I don't know what, what would change there other than what you do on the ice. And this does, decision. does a stalwart fourth top four right shot defenseman put all the pieces into the better places like is that what they are are they one defenseman away from just looking better all around on the back end or is it deeper than that no I I would say like one defenseman would help this team a lot but one defenseman would help a lot of teams a lot it's not probably true it's not just the Canucks so you know you have to look at what the market is here as far as who's available to you so are you just maybe you're just going to roll the dice with an internal um you know, solution because the price of, of someone else and the asset you're going to have to give up. I know they made a trade. We're going to get into that. But what I'm saying is it's like I'm watching other teams around the league and I'm like, yeah, they could use a, a right-hand shot in the top four as well. And, you know, I watched Chicago play the other night. Chicago was playing in Toronto. I was in the building watching Bedard. And I'm watching Seth Jones and I'm watching Connor Murphy because those are two guys, right-shot defensemen. Seth Jones, like he takes a lot of heat, especially from like the analytical community. I I see that a lot, but I was really impressed with Connor Murphy. Like he disrupted a lot of stuff. And Sheldon Keefe was saying after the game, how the first line turned the puck over like crazy. And it kind of fed into things. I guess my point is like, there's a guy on a bad team there. Who's a right shot defenseman with two years left after this year at like $4.4 million. And there's a number of teams around the league where that guy would help solve a lot of problems. But how are you going to get that guy? Yeah. You, you're not like you just can't get those kinds of players. It, it's very, very difficult to get a guy like that. And you can't take on more cap space either. Right? You don't no, have that luxury, well, so. and not many teams have that either. No. Uh, in fact, there were as of earlier this week, there were 14 teams, nearly half the league, who couldn't even call up a player, didn't even have the cap space for the minimum salary. Uh, Frank, I want to ask you about Connor Garland. Because, you know, as we know, his agent is out there seeking a trade. And on that first goal, I mean, he's got a chance to, quote, unquote, eat a puck, as Rick Tockett would say. Get in front of that shooting lane and make things a little easier for his goaltender. He flies by and the puck goes in the, zone, uh, puck goes in the net. When a guy has a trade request out there, are guys looking around and wondering, okay, is he going to bleed for this team? Should management be looking around and going, okay. Is he going to bleed for this team? Is he going to play Tockett-style hockey knowing full well that he would prefer to be somewhere else? See, I don't think the team that he's on is looking at it that way. 
I think the teams that are watching him are looking at it thinking, all right, your name's out there. You want to trade. You should be playing very desperate, very urgent kind of hockey because there's pro scouts on assignment now coming in to watch you play specifically. So the isolated camera is on you all night. And that's something that'll get amplified where a team or a pro scout went and watched. And he's like, well, okay, where's he going to fit in our lineup? Is he going to be a second line guy? Is he going to be a third line guy? Regardless, you know, there's certain non-negotiables, right? And, and getting in the shot lane and blocking a shot, those that happens to be a non-negotiable. So if a team looks at it and they see that play, they're like, all right, we given up an asset. We take it on salary, you know, like, you know, we kind of know what we're getting here. Um, because they were playing Philly and Torts was involved, I feel like I got to tell you a little Torts story. No. So we were in Please. video. We were in video the one day. And, of course, someone didn't block a shot. And they did the old flamingo. And Torts pauses the video and he goes, can't tell you who the player was, but he goes, tell me this is a flamingo. Just say it. I want to hear it. And the player, of course, obliged and said, yes, it's a flamingo. Thank you. That's all I wanted to know. Next clip. That was it. Sorry if you can hear my dog barking. Even the dog was upset. You know, flamingo. Not on the Corrado's dog. Corrado's dog is on watch. You know, flamingo. Okay, Frank, one of the trade the Canucks made yesterday, and, and lo and behold, it's with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um. I want your take on Friedman because you played against him and how much he can help. And then we'll discuss Rathbone. Yeah. So playing against this guy, interesting guy, for sure. Very vocal on the ice. Very sure of himself as a player. He's done well. So he's in the NHL. He's grinded his way through. Um, As far as his fit on the Canucks, it's pretty obvious to see how a a right shot defenseman can, can help just bolster things a little bit. Like if we're if we're going to be candid, I think Noah Juleson at times has looked out of his depth at the NHL level. Um, so it makes sense to bring in someone. He plays like, I would say, a little more of a scrappier kind of game. There's enough puck moving ability. I know he's played on the left side a little bit. Like he would he would get paired with that Chad Ruedel on the very rare two right shot defenseman pairing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, you know, to sum it up, it's a guy who plays a scrappy kind of game. Not shy to get involved, uh, any kind of like extracurriculars or altercations, stuff like that. And probably gives you a little bit of a, just a little more assurance on the ice than you're getting from Noah Juleson right now. Which is, it's he, odd uh, to hear you say that he's like a, a confident guy. Like he's, well, he's an nasty bit of business, isn't he, Frank? Like, yeah. I've heard oh, yeah. he like, barely I played. played. In the minors, you know, I played against, against him in the minors and he was, you know, very vocal about how good he is and how not good everyone else is on the ice. <laughs> he's 27. He's got like 80 games in the yeah, NHL. Exactly. Like, I, listen, I don't know. Good. I don't know what his shtick is at the NHL level, but yeah. I, I know in the AHL, I'd be going back to the bench and I'd be like, "What is this guy saying? Like, what is going on over there?" <laughs> I think. I think at one point, I said to one of the guys on my bench, "I'm like." They must get tired of that every game over there. (laughs) They got to get tired of it. But credit to him because he's playing in the NHL and I'm talking hockey. Yeah, well, I mean, at one point, though, he's playing second pair, you know, Wilkes-Barre. 
he's acting like he's Bobby Orr. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rathbone, it obviously wasn't going to happen here. Three different coaching staffs uh, basically didn't have use for Jack Rathbone. Um, what do you think of the opportunity that awaits him in Pittsburgh? Well, I'll tell you what, man. Like this Jack Rathbone guy, all the tools are there. Like they really are. He is a great skater. I love his ability with the puck. You know, just just from noticing like certain things about players, there's one thing that really sticks out to me. I was one of those guys. I had like this spaghetti kind of noodle, wet noodle arm stick thing. Okay. And when I first got to the Chicago Wolves, Craig McTavish made it very evident to me that I had the wet noodle going. And he told me, he goes, go look at Brad Hunt, because Brad Hunt was on the team at the time. He goes, watch Huntsy. He goes, it's, it's like he's a serpent with that thing. It's like, a, it's like a quick motion, okay? It's like a fast twitch. He goes, watch how he does it. I said, okay, that's a good point. Rathbone, when he handles the puck, it's like he has that fast twitch on everything he does. When he passes the puck, when he shoots the puck, everything's got that fast twitch. He doesn't have the wet spaghetti noodle. But with that in mind, when I see some of the decision-making that he would make, it's like you're trying to work a little too fast. I would like to see you just like slow things down a little bit. You'll probably make some better plays at like 80% speed, let's call it. So now as far as going to Pittsburgh and the opportunity that awaits him, the thing he'll have to keep in mind is be the player that got you to this level, but don't lose sight of the fact that you do still need to get better at certain things if there's been three coaching staffs that have kind of passed you over. Like they're all seeing something here, right? So you're going to have to keep in mind that there's going to be things that the Penguins want you to do, and there's certain things that got you to this point. I I, I have some parallels between you and Rathbone because I think you were a victim of, of, of seeing having a lot of guys look at you, uh, a lot of administrations, a lot of teams, and – it sort of reminds, you know, Rathbone reminds me of you that you just in the right situation, it might have been might have been a different story here for for Jack Rathbone. Honestly, sometimes it just takes one coach, really. Yeah. And you know, like for me, I felt like AV, like from the time I was eighteen to the time he left the organization, I felt like I had built a really good foundation with him. And the thing is, a new coach comes in, new coach, like. He wants to lead with the trump card. You know what I mean? It's who's been around, who's experienced. I'm new here. We got to get off to a great start. And, you know, you're starting to kind of nurture that relationship again from the beginning. Another coach again, same idea, right? Like, hey, I just got here. Got to make a great first impression. Got to keep my job, all that kind of stuff. So time, like there's always time for a player to find their way to the NHL. Like I look at Justin Hall, a guy who started in the East Coast League, worked his way up to the AHL, and now he's making $3.5 million or just under that with the Detroit Red Wings. So there is still time. Um, but that kind of, you know, that formation of the relationships um, wouldn't be going his way. But now he's coming into a new organization with Pittsburgh where he's the new guy and the GM brought you in. And we're going to have to see that through because GM brings you in, going to give you an opportunity, probably going to start with the minor, in the minors, and you can try and work your way up. But they're always going to try and justify bringing you into the organization. So he'll have that going for him here. Great stuff, Frank. You have a fabulous week. We'll catch up next Wednesday. Thanks. I got to go talk to my dog here. So. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Bye.
Let's take care of some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. Your mortgage is up in the next six months. Now is the time to reach out. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. At Mike McIntyre, Winnipeg. Mm. NHL Jets attendance at Canada Life Center tonight, 11,226. Wow, more than 4,000 empty seats. Uh, The best of Mike's knowledge, he thinks it's the lowest in Jets 2.0 history by a significant amount. They had 13,000 for the opener. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says a year ago, they had 1,600 empty seats for a home game against the Habs. He called that a canary in the coal mine and why a market correction is badly needed regarding ticket pricing. Mm. So what's at I mean, play there? Obviously, small market, economy, yes. interest rates, all of that is playing into it. And an identity-less team. Like, what, or what are they? a stale team. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which only casts further suspicion on the long extensions for Hellebuck and Shifley. Yeah. Yeah, like you have to give the fans something to get excited about. They know Hellebuck and Shifley. They don't necessarily trust Shifley. So what are they? What are you asking well, them to pay for? Well, they know Hellebuck and Shifley. Not good enough to get you, really. I don't think they say that about Hellebuck, but I think they would say that about Shifley for sure. Pierre-Luc Dubois' first game back last night, too. Mm-hmm. Now there was booze for him, but... But you know, you not enough. To only eleven thousand. Yeah. <laughs> now there was only wow. ten thousand in San Jose. I was just going to say, t- San Jose announced tickets distributed ten thousand three hundred seventy-eight. Now they had two sellouts to start the season, but Sheng Pen there thinks opening night is opening night, and the others there was a giveaway involved. But also, they're not moving but the Sharks the out of San Jose. They no. would move the the Jets out of Winnipeg, I think. Well. How does the Houston you know, Jets sound? The, the, the great irony about the Winnipeg Jets is, are they the smallest market in the National Hockey League? Yes. Are they um, susceptible to fluctuations, particularly downward fluctuations of the Canadian dollar? Yes, of course, albeit NHL teams do hedge against the dollar and buy up U.S. dollars. But thirdly, their silent partner owner – not Mark Chipman. David Thompson is the richest guy in the NHL by a mile. Like, he could buy and sell the rest of the board, David Thompson. So, to me, the question is not, oh, ticket sales are declining in Winnipeg. Might the Jets leave again? The question is, does David Thompson have the stomach to ride out the, the rough patches? The funny thing and about- based on his incredible wealth, the way that family has always treated the Globe and Mail, which they own... I would suspect that David Thompson has a strong emotional tie to wanting to see the hockey team he helped repatriate to Canada stay in Canada. Yep. And he could just take on loss after loss. But one and thing there's, he, with good accountants, there's ways to make the losses work for you at that level. There totally is. But some rich guys also see something taken on water and say, nope. Yeah. Well, and, and to me, that would be a question for his partners. Do you have the wherewithal? Yeah. If the team's going to wind up losing. And, you know, the NHL, as we know with the Coyotes, I mean, you can lose tens of millions of dollars if you've got a bad team 
and bad sponsorship and not a lot of people tuning in to the regional games. And incidentally, plenty of tickets left for the Canucks and Blues a week from Friday. You may have noticed. Lots. They're pushing yeah. that game hard. Yeah. That's a Friday night. Well, yeah. I mean, That's I, not a Tuesday against Columbus. I just went onto the website. There's, there's lots of tickets available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At Bob Weeks TSN. There are only a few voices that become synonymous with a sport without being a TV broadcaster. I can think of Michael Buffer in boxing, Michelle Lacroix in hockey, the PA announcer for the Canadians games, Russ Bray in darts. What's the score there? 180. <laughs> I don't know that. You don't know the darts guy? No, I don't. You've never watched darts? No, I've never watched darts. Grady, do you, have you ever watched darts? And I have no regrets about In that. In the big, huge English uh, no, taverns with all the drunks? No. no. And when it comes on TV, that's an automatic switch. switch. Yeah. Automatic. Fun to play, but not to watch. I like it because the athletes look like us. Quote, unquote. Yes. Athletes, yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Ivor. You were the best. This is Ivor Robeson. Yes. The starter's voice at the Open Championship for 41 years passed away this week at age 83. His lilting Scottish accent, and I, I learned that he was uh, yet today that he was born in England, but at some time matriculated to Scotland because the accent is unmistaking. And I, he always sounded like he was surprised. By who was on the first? Yeah! Team. Oh my gosh! Would you lucky here? It's Phil Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Blake. Who can forget? And in later years, he sped up the cadence of it. But in the heyday, it was Tiger. Pause. Woods. <laughs> Tiger Woods. Anyways, uh, he retired in 2015 from uh, the starter's post. And we mourn him. He was absolutely, he was as much a part of the Open as St. Andrews and Peter Alice and uh, winds off a sea. And sideways rain. That's right. Yes. And Alex Gongiruzic, after last night's results, it appears the Canadian men's national team will likely play Jamaica in the Nations League quarterfinal. It'll be two legs with the winner heading to Copa America uh, and the Nations League semifinals. The loser will have a second chance at the Copa America in a single-game knockout versus another quarterfinal loser. Tough tie awaits. Um, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a tough tie. Um, it feels like a tough tie because of the way Canada's playing, but this should not be a tough tie for Canada. Um, and if you want to prove us otherwise, please do, Canada. Javane Brown going to be on that? Jamaica yep. yeah. yeah. November 16th in Canada. Uh, sorry, November 16th in Jamaica, November 20th in Canada. So this why BMO Field, they want to freeze out the Jamaicans, make them suspect. a little uncomfortable. By the way, I don't know if you caught any of the highlights, the U.S. beat Ghana for buzz last night. It was 4 nothing at the half, and several clips I saw posted, Ghana like was not trying. Like They just they they had zero shits to give. How did they get a free kick from like 10 feet An away? An indirect free kick? Yeah. yeah, I know. So odd. It was really bizarre. I guess it's not cartable for a P for a, P, a PK, but yeah, so strange. Yeah, very rare. I've never occurrence. seen that. Yeah, I've never. I, I can't you have that many either. players clustered in such a small space. And how they set it up? Yeah, it was beautiful. Looks like they had practiced it. Yeah, 
Well, they probably practiced it from further away and just applied it for the shorty. But you'd think you'd hit the wall, and they found well, a way to yeah. score. Yeah. At Slangs on Sports, Sarah Langs, the Phillies have a plus 33 run differential so far this postseason. That's the highest run differential in an eight-game span in a single postseason. And I was going to wonder, oh, well, you know, it's expanded postseason. But no, pick any games in, any eight games in postseason history. Nobody's been plus 33. They also own a plus 15 home run differential. Of course, had more home runs last night, a 10 nothing win, which is on pace to be the largest margin in MLB history over a single postseason. Here's the problem, Blake. There are eight series already in the books with the expanded wild card in the Major League Baseball playoffs. We have not had a deciding game. We are two games into the LCS, and we have two nothing leads. Matt, I'm out. Now, at least Arizona's going back home. Houston has to go to Texas now. Basically, the World Series may have to redeem these playoffs in terms of drama because there hasn't been a lot of it. I'm out. Like I, I have completely tuned out of no, the baseball playoffs. No, I know, and I really enjoyed not opening night. There were some good ball games on opening night, but you're quite right. It is losing me Yeah, because the scores are, for the most part, lopsided. People are getting up early, and then, of course— You know, you have lost that tapestry of the starting pitcher going deep into games and being the protagonist and having that narrative around games. Oh, did you see Morris last night? Did you see Hershiser? Did you see, you know, fill in your star pitcher from postseasons past? Yeah, it's sad. You know, because over five innings, you're not talking about them like that the next day. It's very sad. I'm out. Oh, okay. One more from me at Offside DH. Oilers tried to trade for Boston goalies over the summer. Ken Holland knew. Jimmy Murphy reporting out of Boston that the Oilers checked in on Linus Allmark, despite the fact he was the runaway Vezina winner, and Jeremy Swayman, who, of course, people thought there'd be a problem re-signing him, or maybe he's available because of Allmark. Weren't able to get it done, and we saw what happened in the first two nights for the Oilers. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by Chris Faber of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. And first things, Chris, uh, Grady and I owe you a big thank you for the invites and for your uh, hosting duty Saturday at Greta. We had an absolute blast there at the Canucks Watch Party. Yeah, I was a little worried. I was expecting like 40-ish people. And I was thinking, okay, 40 will be good. You know, chat around, walk through each table. Uh, when I heard that we sold over 125 tickets going into the event, I knew that I needed a little bit of liquid courage. So I think that helped with some of the, uh, the emceeing at the event, uh, but didn't cross the line. I felt like I kept it under control. But it was great to see you guys, uh, see a lot of the listeners and, and everybody that showed up. It was just... Um, it's an event that we're going to do more of, for sure. Uh, speaking to the GM there at Greta, the folks there were great. Uh, we had all the bartenders and Canucks jerseys. I, I don't know if you saw the uh, the first goal scored by the Vancouver Canucks uh, and the pouring of Pink Whitney. You just had to run up to the bar <laughs> and the bottles were just being uh, poured into all the open mouths like it was a, a mother bird feeding their kids. I think it was, uh, it was an incredible uh, night. I had an absolute blast. And to be able to pull that off with our first attempt in an event, uh, Mm-hmm. Just, just amazing. It was well, awesome. a fantastic spot, and it works so well for watch parties. And you should see this guy work a room, Blake. I'm sure. On behalf of Quads and myself, who were working that night, uh, screw all of you. And how about Quadrelli? Mm. He had to work. Mm. He stayed away. The, his dedication to the craft, David Quadrelli. 
He didn't say that about me working. Hmm. Interesting. And here's the other thing. Chris is making his rink-wide debut on Saturday. That's right. Jeff Patterson for the game against Florida. So looking forward to hearing you with J-Pat unpack the game Saturday. Yeah, I listened to every single rink-wide last season. I've listened to them all this year. So I feel like I'm just going to slide right into the vibe there uh, with J-Pat on rink-wide. I'm very excited about that. Um, And yeah, I've never really done a post-game type of thing. But uh, like I said, I've heard Jeff do this and heard Blake do this uh, enough on 1040 days back in the day. So uh, I I think we'll slide right in. It should be a good time. Very much looking forward to it. I I tell you what, all the stuff I've been able to do with Jeff so far this season has been incredible. Uh, He's he's the best in the business. He's the best reporter we have here in Vancouver. uh, And he's been amazing to work with on a bunch of things. And we're happy to have him as a guest once a week on our show as well. So what will the Canucks record be on that edition (laughs) of Brinkwide? Will it be two and three? Will it be three and two? Will it be something in between? Because uh, they're on a different trajectory all of a sudden, Chris. Well, we're going to have a lot of storylines after that uh, with the Florida game. I think that's going to be a lot of fun but yeah. uh yesterday's game was, was quite a big letdown for the vancouver canucks i mean after hearing that rick talkett was screaming at his guys at uh, practice and seeing what they did in the first two games I, I think you could probably say that second game might have given you some of an indication on what the shot share could end up being uh moving forward here and that certain things needed to change and man that the canucks that second period watching them last night that that had to be i think it gave a lot of canucks fans flashbacks to what this team's been like in this decade of, yeah. of you know poor hockey to to lack of better words here, but like that second period was just, oh, everybody felt it, right? All the good vibes disappeared in one period. Uh, it felt like in Canucks Nation and, and Twitter was was lit up last night. Social media was blowing up and uh, that's the type of thing that you were hoping is not going to continue to happen with this new coaching staff and the way that Rick Tockett at least speaks about how he operates. Now you need to see how they actually operate because I thought it was great for him to come out and, and speak so candidly as he did in the post-game availability and I hope that all of that rings true with the players because I don't think this is a coaching staff that's going to take a lot of crap from these guys. And that's exactly the coaching staff that I want for this group of players that they have a lot of talent, but they, they just cannot have, you know, 25 to 35 nights a season where they play like they did last night. And that was just a, just a horrible effort through and through. And I think Rick Tockett said it best in his postgame availability. He had reason to be concerned, and when he comes out with a uh, quote like, who are we to think we are anybody? You know, Chris, that tells me that there are some guys who are big for their britches with that team that feel like, oh, I'm a good NHL player, you know, and uh, walk around that way as opposed to what he's trying to instill, and that is we may have some good players here, but we are not yet a good team. How long do you think? Like, what what do you think is a good barometer? Uh, to give them a chance to get together and play the sort of style of hockey that Tockett demands. Yeah, they've they've got that roster that you think that management group is happy with. They've got all the staff members in place from Pittsburgh or wherever else they liked their guys from. And I, I think that this is something that I was I was very curious to see, like, who's he talking to with the words that he was saying yesterday, like you brought up there. I think, is he talking about the top six forwards, the bottom six forwards, the defense pairings? Like, I think you could say that all of them were in that category of what Rick Taka was talking about, of of guys thinking they're better than they are or whatever it may be. I think it, it's going to take some time to get this structure down because I still believe this Vancouver Canucks team, and I think that their strength isn't going to be structure for this season. I still think their strength is going to be relying on good goaltending and scoring a lot of goals. That's just the player types that they have. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a bad thing. I think that... 
it's certainly something they're trying to change. And I think it's going to take a while here to get this team fully bought in to the structure, to the system, to the accountability, to the other word that they threw in the Canucks commercial in the summer. Whatever all those things are, you need to build to that point. It's not going to come from a preseason that I don't think they did an excellent job of playing with structure, right? I think that they didn't have great depth scoring throughout the preseason. They had all these type of things are adding up that, yes, it's not going to come to fruition as soon as the regular season gets going. It sure looked like it did, right? The first two games, it was like, oh, wow, they've figured everything out. Uh, But I think we all got brought back down to earth a little bit watching them play last night because a lot of little things that Rick Tockett spoke about was just like, you know, the third forward needing to be higher. The the centers needed to be lower on certain plays when they're de- like defending in the neutral zone. Just a lot of little structure things that he spoke about at least yesterday in the post game availability. Those aren't going to uh, those aren't going to happen immediately. It's going to take some time, and I think that's unfortunate because if you lean away from the structure and the defensive play. They're going to go back to their actual habits of trying to score a lot of goals and, and you know rely on Thatcher Demko. And the Canucks have enough skill that they'll win some games like that. But you need to, even in those wins, that's the thing I've liked from talking in the post game is like he's not come out and been all smiley, right? He's not no. making jokes in these post game availabilities. He's seeing things that need to continue to change. So yes, you're going to pick up some wins as the season goes on. But this is something that not only as the year goes on and the games pass by, you're going to need to continue to build and build and build because yeah. this is his, his comments after this one were a continuation from his comments after the Saturday game, because he wasn't super pleased. He was two and zero, and yet you can tell he was sort of simmering a little bit after that Edmonton and Blake, a continuation from his attitude at practice yeah. on Tuesday, where he's and, yelling F bombs yeah. and earn your ice time and things it, like that. It probably rings more true when you lose like that too, right? Like it, are there certain players in that room that need a two, nothing loss where you get embarrassed? Honestly, does that ring true with certain players? Because some guys might say, well, we just won 8-1. We just won 4-3. We just beat Conor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl twice. Like, I think we're doing pretty good. And then you get a game like this. Maybe this brings a lot of people back down to earth and, you know, fan base as well as maybe players as well. He wasn't uh, quite as frustrated uh, after the game or during the game, but when Elias Pettersson, who, of course, ends up not being able to practice today, probably because of the shot that he inadvertently got hit by from Tyler Myers, but look at that reaction as Pedersen skates to the bench. Um, he might just be mad that he got hit by the puck. But there seemed to be more. It seemed to be like, we're playing like crap. We're not doing X, Y, and Z. And now I got hit by the puck. To me, that's what, you know, he sort of slammed his stick to the uh, to the ice as he skated off. And you could tell he wasn't super seriously injured. Uh, to me, there was I read more to those frustrations and to those emotions than just I got hit by the puck. Yeah, I'd say a little bit. I think... Um... It was a pretty rough shot there from Tyler Myers, yeah. I believe, from the point. So he takes a shot. Obviously, that's not going to be great. It looked like it got him in a pretty bad spot on the foot, too. But I think, yeah, the frustration has to build, right? It's like, you know, you're already down, and then you're kind of getting hit while you're down, like literally. That's right. <laughs> yes. So I think it, a lot of it had to add up, and I think he was being frustrated a little bit in that game. We saw the big hit on him um, from, was it Delorier? Or, um, yep. the name? It was, he yeah. had a big hit on him earlier in the game, and it felt like Pedersen, uh, it was one of those games where he's kind of, trying to make deeks off of his back certain times, right? Like he does get knocked over every little bit. He's definitely gotten a lot better at it throughout this, like his career at this point. But it was one of those games where the puck just wasn't going exactly where he wanted it to go throughout the game. So, you know, he's going to have games like that. He's not uh, perfect. No player is, but uh, maybe a little bit of frustration for him. But I think that uh, I, I do think still a big majority of it was like, damn, Tyler, you're going to rip that right into my skate here in the game like this, like get it on net or get it around or or anything like that. But I think we're going to see a lot of those type of moments, not necessarily getting frustrated, but 
players getting hit, you know, with shots uh, from the point because they're doing a very good job of actually getting to the net. I think that was something that, though they didn't really get pucks through yesterday, I still think that like, there was traffic for a good amount of that game. Maybe not as much as the Edmonton games, but seeing like, a, you know, Brock Besser, I thought did a great job around the net. I know in the disallowed goal, he might have been too tight uh, in the net there, but I, I've really liked Besser's game, at least through the three games of him being able to go to the slot, go to the crease and and find out that, hey, like you can score a lot of goals here. I'm, I'm going to hang out here more often than not because I think you can score a lot from this area. 31, committed, yep. 31 shots either blocked or missed though yesterday yeah. um, versus the Penguins who got everything through. So, uh, Chris, there's word this morning that uh, the Connor Garland trade negotiations are ongoing. David Pinota, the fourth period, St. Columbus, Nashville, Washington, another Eastern Conference team. You wonder whether there's some brokerage involved here because the money at play. Boy, when, when this first came to light, I thought – they may have to, this might be a file that just sits there and languishes because of his salary, because of how many cap tight teams, but it sounds like the Canucks are motivated to move the player on. Do you have hopes of a quick resolution here on Garland? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's certainly, I didn't think this was going to happen in preseason. I didn't think this was going to happen in the off season, but if teams are starting to see their wingers go down with ACL and MCL tears and they're out for the season and they really thought that this was a year that, that they could push and knowing that the cap is going up quite a bit next season, I, I do think that there is a possibility for a Connor Garland trade. I don't know if I would bet money on it actually happening because the the thing is that the Canucks, and I know it's a different management group, but they've not really done a great job of, you know, having a third team come into the mix, which is kind of what Pegs was saying there in his tweet. And if they're able to do that, what are they giving up for that extra cap space that they can gain? And why aren't they just trying with a Chicago or a Nashville, a team that uh, makes a little bit more sense with how what like their cap structure is. And I, I think, like I said, the, the fact that the cap is going up next season is certainly going to help uh, kind of lube the gears here to get uh, Connor Garland trade actually possible. And the thing is, like, he's playing on the top line again. Like, I, I think I spoke about this last week with you guys. He's just got to go out there and perform. And for the most part, like, I think he's been solid enough in that role. I don't think he's stepped up to the plate and hit a home run, but, like, he's getting on base with what he's doing over the past three games, at least with those two guys. And we'll, we'll have to see what happens moving forward. But I think the cap hit really is going to make it difficult to make this an easy one-for-one. One. Hey, we get a defenseman, you get Connor Garland. Let's all, you know, shake hands and, and smile and walk away. It's, it's going to take more than that. Um, so at least to see the report from Pegs today was like, yes, they kind of need to do this to really make all three sides happy. But I guess the worry that I have is for the other two sides to be happy. What are the Canucks giving up with Garland? How much cap space do they have to hold on to on their own? And what draft pick are they giving up to get, you know, is it a high level player that they're getting back? Because then it's like, okay, I guess you can give up a draft pick at that point. But if you're really getting a, well, this is our seventh defenseman here and maybe he's a third pairing guy for you. Like you shouldn't be giving up much draft capital for that. So does a guy uh, like Dante Fabro make the Canucks demonstrably better? I think he would help what's going on in the third pairing right now. Right. I right. think that's something that for sure would happen. I th also think he's one of these players that with a little bit of a different system and a little bit of a reset could be a guy that's much better than he's been throughout the early parts of his career. He's still at a youngish age that, mm -hmm. There's a lot of room to grow. So I, I think with Fabro or, you know, Andrew Peaks, obviously the other name that's out there in Columbus, if you're getting that type of player who is just such a perfect fit for what this defense core needs, and, you know, the perfect fit would be a guy who can play on the top pairing with Quinn Hughes. So I shouldn't say that, but like perfect fit for the biggest hole 
right? Because I really think the right shot defense uh, on the third pairing has just not been great for the Vancouver Canucks this season. They need an upgrade there. They've already made a move today to kind of make that change with uh, Friedman coming up to the NHL. So if there's a player that just makes so much sense and he's that much better than Mark Friedman, I can see a trade with a pick being given up and some money being, you know, held by a third team. That I think that's the best bet because I don't really like the Canucks just kind of having to do this cap retention that they've done over the past couple of years, which is at the time doesn't feel too bad when they make these deals and they're holding on to some cap or buying out a player or these type of things. But then you get to, Hey, well, we'd like to sign Elias Pettersson long-term. We can't do that. And like all these type of things, they add up quickly and with some cap flexibility, I almost feel better about that. And I hate saying this as a guy who loves to cover the prospects, but like I, I feel better probably holding on to cap flexibility than draft picks right now. Okay, tell me everything you know about Mark Friedman. Well, he fought Brady Kachuk last year, which I was a little shocked by. But uh, just from watching a little bit, I've only been able to watch maybe like 15 minutes of his ice time with Pittsburgh over the past couple of years here. But um, looks like he's a little bit of a grittier player. I think he's going to fit well with Rick Talkin the way that he wants his third pairing. Just from some of the stuff that I saw watching him after whistles, I do get a little bit of Kyle Burrows vibes, maybe a little bit more skill there, a little bit better with the puck, but also a little bit not so much of like, well, if you touch anybody, I'm ready to drop the gloves like Kyle Burrows was last year for the Canucks, but at least he's going to be a guy where, you know, that massive hit on Elias Pettersson yesterday, not really much of a reaction from the Vancouver Canucks at the time, and I was wondering, okay, you know, when are they going to have this reaction? Noah Juleson had a horrible decision to... I mean, it's nice to see him stick up, but you can't take the extra penalty there. So I'm I'm wondering to see what happens with Friedman. If he's got that level-headedness of being able to understand the situations to step up. And I, I think it'll be interesting to watch, but I do believe that he's going to be a guy who's going to bring some grit, right? He's going to be a Rick Tockett third pairing type of defenseman. Uh, he's five foot 11. So not the biggest size, but he skates decently well. Uh, not a big point producer, but like I said, he's going to be a third pairing guy, probably kill some penalties. Uh, and defensively, just kind of looking at some of the visits that I saw on him, Pretty solid defensive analytics through the first 65 games in the NHL for him, which is good news. Uh, not going to bring a lot offensively, like I said, but at least a guy that I think you're going to feel, I don't want to say confident, but at least comfortable with on a third pairing playing on the right side, especially with what, uh, I mean, Noah Juleson just hasn't looked like an NHL player. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's, it. yeah, no, uh, fair enough. They need an upgrade there for sure. Well, they may need upgrades on two spots on the right side if Myers continues playing like he did last night. Chris, marvelous stuff. Thank you for this. Have a great uh, debut with Rinkwide on Saturday, and we'll we'll catch up with you next Wednesday. Well, I appreciate that, Matt, but we're not going to finish here without a prospect of the week. Right? Exactly. Oh, How dare you? <laughs> Put myself on ease and O's. Uh, there was a, a gauntlet laid down you know, for your last hit because Hunter Brustevich had gone off to such a great start then he had a better week did, did, mm. so what are you going to do with this predicament are you going to crown a guy two weeks in a row are we allowed repeats what are you thinking yeah i you know what we gotta we gotta kind of draw our line in the sand here we're gonna do it we're gonna give hunter brustevich back-to-back week here he was even better like you said uh second in ohl scoring right now that's not for defensemen that's second in ohl scoring out of every player who's playing in the OHL. Uh, he had a great week this past week, three points. He had Friday night and Sunday. They both were one goal and three assist outings for Bruce Devich, who's been excellent. We had him on our show uh, on Monday, actually, a great interview with the kid. Uh, and he's just been off to a hell of a start. And it, like the quote that I loved from him uh, in the conversation that we had on Monday, because I asked him, like a lot of these games for the Kitchener Rangers, who he's playing for in the OHL, 
there's they're getting out of hand. Like it's like eleven to two and eight nothing and all these things. But Brustevich is getting a lot of his goals and assists very early in the game, and then his ice time is starting to drop down. It's very similar to what we saw with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes in the eight one win against the Oilers. Like he's putting a lot up early, then he's not really seeing power play time at the end of the game. The quote that mm-hmm. I loved the most from him was like. We're just going out there trying to bury teams. And I was like, yes, like you have a good team. This is a kid who's very confident in his own play. But the other parts that I've liked about Brustevich, not just the points, you put up six points in two games. That's excellent. That's going to get you prospect of the week almost every week here. But the defensive play has been good. Like he's a guy who the World Junior Showcase, he showcased for the United States that he's a defensive player. He can kill penalties. He was being on the first unit at the Summer Showcase for the USA That was all great to see. It's something that he's doing in the OHL as well. Killing penalties through a massive hit the other day as well. He's a physical player like this guy for 18 years old. He's got the confidence of a guy who's been around the OHL for like four seasons and just knows like the league, like the back of his hand. Like he plays every position well right now, uh, whether it's offensive, defensively or what I've really liked is like his passes through the neutral zone are just crisp. I think I mentioned it last week with you guys, but his passes didn't look much different than a lot of the defensemen at the NHL. Uh, training camp like he looked like he has that pop to him so to know that he's only 18 and growing from here like he should be a guy who continues to rip up the OHL he's on a strong team uh, and for that reason he's my player of the week I, I do got to give a small shout out to Tom Willander as well uh, yeah. who had a goal and an assist in his debut in the NCAA but the most important thing about Willander was that he got to move up and play with Lane Hudson in the third period who was the best defenseman in the NCAA last season offensively at least and the fact that his coach was like, well, we need some offense. We're down by a couple. Let's get Willander up playing with Hudson. And they had a very good third period together where it stuff. felt like well, 90% of the time was in the offensive zone. It's funny you mentioned Hudson because there were 16 defensemen brought to the World Junior Showcase this summer for USA Hockey. Only four of them were higher draft picks than Hunter Bristevich. Lane Hudson was one, uh, although uh, there's also some pretty good competition on the right side there for that team. Seamus Casey, a second-round pick to New Jersey, and Sam Rinzel, a first-round pick to Chicago, both righties who I suspect uh, will make that team. And the way Bristevich is going, he'll have to make it as well. A ton of even strength points for Bristevich, by yeah. the way, too. So he's uh, he's performing even off the power. Point. I promise I won't forget Prospect of the Week next week, Chris Faber. No chance. We'll catch you then. <laughs> Absolutely. You betcha, guys. Thanks for having me. Care surprise from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778 402 9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. Gonna be great. He's ready for that one. A scary moment yesterday at Whitecaps training when Ryan Gauld, and he is, of course, your working, pla- working class league MVP. You betcha. Ryan Gauld leaves with an apparent foot injury. Jay Janauer of Global was there to see it. He left the pitch pointing at his foot and saying, I don't know what happened. It's my foot again. He would later tell the media he is good to go. And then, and we mentioned this name a couple of weeks back as we point forward to the Whitecaps and where they may go in the offseason in terms of player procurement. And Har, our journalist, asked Vanny Sartini about Russell Tybert. This is, of course, the forever cap, Captain Russ. 
Manning said, he's available for selection. Every time that he played, he played very well. Rusty is an important player for us. I think he will have the chance to step into the field again, maybe Saturday, maybe in the playoff games. We would like to see, I mean, winning is number one. Nothing can get in the way of winning. And as we discussed with Vanny yesterday, they cannot fall lower than where they sit currently, sixth place in the MLS West. A tie can only get them to fifth. They need some help on that. And that still doesn't get you home pitch in the first round. So really, Vanny can throw caution in the wind and just go for victory and nothing but here. Saturday, 6 o'clock against LAFC. That all said, it would be nice to see Tybert one more time at BC Place so that the fans can give him a thank you and an ovation if, in fact, these are his final games in the jersey. With uh, any luck, it's a 2-0 lead late. Mm-hmm. You get an 85th-minute substitution Something for Russell like Tybert, and he gets to uh, Something like get that. his uh, big yeah, curtain Take call. a bow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and by the way, Gold uh, pronounced after the practice that he's good to go, ready to be a, a yeah. part of the proceedings. So, as I mentioned, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's good news for. But for he's fighting through something. Is the is the point here? Yeah, he's not a hundred percent right, and you just hope he can maintain here that whatever is bothering that foot doesn't take him out of the lineup because that's situation critical. For Andres Kubis. Full participant as well. That's so good. That's huge news. I do wonder though if uh, I have no doubt that Kupas's lower body is going to work just fine because that's not the injured part. I do wonder if he's going to be as uh, physical. Yeah. Because I don't think he wants to go shoulder to shoulder he's with anybody. Nurse that shoulder. Yeah. 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 So that's a little. So bit those fifty-fifty balls might be. A- yeah. Exactly. Bodog poll question results from yesterday. We asked which center do you want facing the opponent's top line: JT Miller or Elise Pedersen? This was close, Blake. Who did they say? Uh, JT Miller. They did. Percentage? 54. 51.6 Woo! to PZ's 48.4. Ken, I don't want PD to be the shutdown C. I want PD to be the best complete C in the league while competing for the Art Ross, Hart, and Selkie. He is far too offensively gifted to be Manny Malhotra. Nobody was saying that he would be a pure matchup shutdown third line centerman. It was more about which power on power do you prefer yeah. From a defensive point of view, Rob the siding guy, Miller, so Pedersen gets better matchups more times than not. That, that there's that absolutely too. a fair yeah. comment. Rob. Yeah. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. I have three. Uh one on you, one on Grady, and one just general. Mm. Uh the women's tennis tournament you spoke of is in fact in China. Which I said, yeah. Well, you said Japan or China. It's No, you asked me if it's in Japan and I said, No, I believe it's in China. That's what happened. We'll check the tape, nevertheless. <laughs> Our show tweet yesterday talked about Rick Tockett developing an indentity for the Vancouver Canucks. Ah, uh, yes. A little typo there. And I had the letters E and I mixed up on Friedman. Oh. Oh, boy. I before E except after C. Yeah. Misspell a proper name at Carleton J School. That was oh. an automatic fail, Grady. Oh. Ooh. Zero. You should see what I have to do with your show notes before I put them into the uh, podcast page. Whoa. I run, run them through Grammarly. Shots fired. <laughs> wow. Well, then maybe you can start writing the show notes. How's that sound? Yeah, I just put more on my plate. Eh? Or maybe Blake can do them. 
Uh, Blake's are usually pretty good. Short really? and sweet. Okay, yeah. there you go. You have expertise in this field? It's all yours. <laughs> Way to go. Uh, well done. Thank you for that, Very Grady. Nice. Better process. Established here in East Nose. And then we were talking about White Rock's Andrew Hammond. The once upon a time darling of the nation's capital in 2014-2015, we were talking... I mentioned an unbeaten streak. Mm-hmm. It was less an unbeaten streak as it was a winning streak or winning um, quarter of the NHL season. Mm-hmm. He came up in 2014-2015 and won 20 of 23 games down the stretch. 21-2. and two. They picked up points in 22 of 23 starts. He also tied an NHL record with one of those goaltenders from way back when by allowing two or fewer goals in his first 12 starts in the National Hockey League. Like having arrived, yeah. that's Got dropped into the crease, proceeded to play 12 games where he did not give up three goals. Pretty impressive. Winning 20 of 23. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. So you like what you got. I'm uh, already starting to look at that Stamps-Lions game on Friday, and I uh, don't like the spread. It's way too big. Um, what is it? It's minus 8.5 right now for the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the over, though. Calgary's still playing for something, too. Yeah. I, I, I think there's going to be some mistakes. I think there's going to be some points, and I'm going to take the over 49.5. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.